You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Jesse Vanderveen at Controlant. I don't think it lives within marketing. I think it's really just needs to be a company focus and company-wide initiative. All right, we are back again, and this time we are taking our second trip to Iceland, one of my favorite places in the world. I have unfortunately never been there myself, but uh, I know it's a lovely place, and Icelandic people are great at everything. And speaking about great, we have Jesse on the show, CMO at Controlant today, and it's a very, very relevant topic that we're going to discuss with her today. Absolutely. We're not going to spoil it, but we're also going to have a chance uh, for you to talk to Jesse directly as well, because we are continuing our breakfast sessions in the app Clubhouse, when we are getting together a panel in different topics, and you can also participate, uh, raise your hand and ask questions in the chat room. And um, we're doing one tomorrow so that will be the 26th of march that we're going to talk about product marketing because that is one of the topics we're going to talk about with jesse now so um join us there tomorrow and uh, let's go on and talk to jesse today we are very happy to have jesse vanderveen the cmo at controlant as a guest here at the sas nordic podcast so welcome jesse Thank you. It's great to be here. We're so excited to, to have you here. You're actually our second Icelandic guest. And, and we always ask, like, you know, how are the volcanoes doing? How's the weather? How is Iceland this time of the year? Uh, right now, it's beautiful. We've been having great weather this weekend. Um, over the last few weeks, it's been a bit shaky. We've had uh, over 3,000 uh, earthquakes. Wow. <laughs> some of which we felt, some of which we haven't. Um, there was some speculation that we may have a, a volcanic eruption last week, but so far we haven't had anything and um, earthquakes have have died down a bit. Okay. Right. And you, you're beginning from, from the States, right? Or are you from one of the states in the states that are, are prone to uh, earthquakes as well? No, absolutely not. I'm from the East Coast. Um, I was born in Philadelphia and I grew up in New York. Um, so I have never experienced earthquakes before coming to Iceland. Okay, but at least the cold weather. <laughs> yeah, very cold weather. <laughs> yeah, so I have a friend in, in Keflavik and he had this uh, outdoors pool that was, uh, you know, always warm with the warm water from, from, uh, yeah, from the ground. Do you have a similar setup at home? No, I wish we did, but we don't. We, we do have access to lots of great pools in the area, though. It's a very popular um, pastime here. Yeah. But all right, so you're American, uh, now living in Iceland. What more can you tell us about your professional uh, backstory? Yeah, sure. Um, so my background hasn't been fully linear. Um, I started working in engineering about more than two decades ago. I worked in the manufacturing setting. Um, and then I went to law school. I became a corporate lawyer. It was something that I really wanted to do. And I uh, worked in, in New York for several years um, as a corporate lawyer. I focused on M&A. Uh, securities law, private equity, um, corporate governance. I really like that. Um, and then I pivoted into tech. Um, I ended up, uh, I met my husband who is Icelandic, uh, moved to Iceland. Um, oh, this is over a decade ago. I was only planning to come here for maybe a year. I wasn't really sure um, how long I'd stay. And I've been really fortunate to be able to work with some really exciting 
um, and unique companies, um, tech companies from Iceland and also um, tech companies from the States in Iceland. Um, so that's kind of my background in a nutshell. Um, I'm currently working for a company uh, called Controlant. Um, as you mentioned, I've been here for about four years um, and we work in the supply chain space. So we work um, with products that are require temperature control. It's called the cold chain. Um, and our solution, it's comprised of hardware, software, and services, kind of all offered as a service. And we call it cold chain as a service. Um, and so we've been working with um, primarily in highly regulated industries, so like pharmaceuticals and life sciences, and then also in food and beverage as well. Okay. So temperature control, I mean, what you think about these days is all of these um, vaccines that needs to be in really cold storage. So are you involved in any of that? Yes, um, we're working with Pfizer. Um, we're monitoring the Pfizer vaccines through um, distribution, global distribution. And then we've also been working with um, Operation Warp Speed stakeholders in the States to monitor the vaccines once they reach the sites. Um, so clinics, hospitals, healthcare centers. Um, so that's a, that's our technology at play there. Okay. So, so Pfizer, for instance, what do they buy from you uh, physically and in terms of software? What do you deliver? So our business model is service-based. Uh, so it's comprised of these of IoT data loggers. They're about the size of a deck of cards. Um, and you'll place, like a company would typically place, you know, one, two, four um, loggers in a box, many boxes on a pallet. Um, and the loggers will automatically track, um, you know, certain parameters like time, temperature, location. There's um, sensors for light sensors that can um, detect if a box is being opened. Um, and they'll send the data to our cloud platform. Um, and that information is available in real time. You can get, you know, single shipment information and information about your supply chain um, in one comprehensive view um, dashboard. And then there's all kinds of, you know, data analytics capabilities that we offer as well. Uh, and then we have some services on top of that. So we have like a 24 seven monitoring and response team. If there's an issue happening in the supply chain, um, our team will reach out to um, stakeholders to take corrective preventive action to prevent the products from going to waste. So in our situation, we don't actually sell the hardware. You basically, a company would essentially um, get the service all as one. So they would get a dedicated logger pool. Um, and that's essentially um, their pool that they use are reusable loggers. So they're not single use or, or, or limited use. And, uh, and we basically manage it as a service on their behalf. Okay. And I understood that you guys have been uh, going through quite an interesting journey here. Uh, I think it started not with COVID, but probably with the previous flu. Can, can, or previous pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the uh, the company has its origins in the H1N1 pandemic. So the founders, um, they, they met in school um, and they had built the technology and they were sort of, um, you know, building out, looking for the product market fit. And at that time, um, H1N1, you know, outbreak happened and Iceland's Directorate of Health had um, secured enough vaccine for the population of Iceland and they needed to make sure that they were kept um, safe while they were being um, stored at the healthcare clinics um, and hospitals throughout the country. So they basically deployed the technology within, I think it was about four weeks. Okay. Um, and they were able to um, maintain the, the integrity of the vaccine at that time. So it's kind of like an initial product market fit, but then the, the technology has also been um, deployed throughout 
um, distribution as well in Iceland. So cold chain waste in general uh, in Iceland has gone from about 35% to about half a percent or less on an annual basis through the use of technology. Okay. Wow. That's that's uh, that's an interesting journey. And, and now, 10 years later from the bird flu, can you tell us a little bit like where is controlling today? Like how many employees are you guys? What are some of the growth rates you guys are seeing? If you could share some, some numbers on funding as well, that would be great. Sure. So the company itself is headquartered in, in it's in Copenhagen, just outside of, of Reykjavik. Um, we've gone over the last, since I started, uh, I think I was number 26 employee and we're about 175 employees today. We'll be around 200 by the end of the year. Um, and we are, we are primarily in Iceland, but we are, we have a distributed team. We've got, um, people in the States. We've got, um, people throughout Europe, um, and service centers, um, in, in different places around the around the globe, um, and in terms of funding, we have. I think there was a TechCrunch article that came out last year. It's you know fifty million dollars in funding in total. We raised um, Series B funding back in the fall for fifteen million, um, and we've been growing very quickly. We've um, been focusing primarily working with um, pharmaceutical manufacturers. Um, but we've also working with um, logistics providers and food and beverage brands as well. So we've been growing um, over the last two years, about growing tenfold um, and just growing very quickly. Wow, that's impressive. So uh, I don't know if you can tell us anything about it, but what, what's the last round going to be used for? Um, well, well, Other than marketing, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're investing primarily in R&D functions and building up the, the team and then you know, operational teams as well. Okay. Yeah. So, so normally we talk about software as a service, and 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 I mean, you also are a software company, but but you have positioned this as a cold chain as a service. So, uh, is that a, a new category that you have created? Yeah, I think we'd like to think of that of it that way. Um, I think with you know category creation, I think is a lot about kind of looking at you know looking at the problem that you're solving and what's missing in the current market, um, kind of drawing from some of the, you know, the current trends in the current category, and then looking at kind of deeper macro trends that are happening in the market. So with control and control and technology is um, IoT and cloud-based. And, you know, as with like many regulated industries, you know, they start off with, you know, utilizing on-prem solutions and that's what they're comfortable with. You know, if it isn't within the four walls of our business, it's not something that we're interested in, but that's been changing over the years. And I think, you know, in the, in the pharmaceutical space, that's, that's also true as well. There's more of a, a deeper understanding and a com- you know, comfort level with a cloud being able to be um, cloud technology being validated for pharmaceutical use cases. And, um, and then seeing the capabilities that are available with, you know, the analytics that are available that can inform different stakeholders across the business. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of one of the trends that we've been following. And, um, and I think, um, just kind of differentiating from others in the market. Um, traditionally, a company would potentially have to buy tens of thousands of data loggers that could be, you know, single use or limited use data loggers, and they would manage the pool um, of loggers, and they wouldn't necessarily have that information on demand because it wasn't, you know, cloud-enabled. So you may have incomplete information, um, and 
that's something that I think, um, you know, is, is changing. And that's something that we're, we're seeking to change as well, just to be able to provide more visibility, responsiveness, agility to supply chains in order to, you know, connect stakeholders across the supply chain and across the value chain in general, but also to um, reduce um, the waste in the supply chain, which is pretty substantial. Mm. I guess marketing has an important part in this and when it comes to educating the market and a lot of other things. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you work with marketing in control and how, how have you sort of organized your team and what is the important things that you're focusing on? Sure. Um, I think when I think of marketing, so my, my experience has been in B2B marketing. Um, so I think with with B2B marketing, you know, if you ask somebody, you know, what are the functions within marketing, you might get an, a variety of different answers. I know people might think it's about branding or, you know, graphics and fonts or your website or, um, you know, um, social media posts or trade show um, enablement, things like that. Um, it's a lot of, it's all of those things. But I think that one of the fundamental um, aspects of B2B marketing is product marketing. Um, and when I'm thinking about building up a team or, or the function in a company, um, especially if a company is really looking to be product and market driven, um, kind of looking from the bottom of the, you know, the funnel upwards. So I think, you know, product marketing is really looking at um, the trends in the industry, really looking at the problem. Like what's the job that the company is helping to solve and how do you frame that who are the segments, you know, which segments are you operating in? Who are the ideal customers that you'd be working with? What do the ideal customer profiles look like? Who are the personas that we would want to work with and deliver value to? You know, what jobs are we performing for those perform for those personas? Um, and I think that that's where really where product marketing comes in. And it, that's sort of like the fundamentals, um, like setting the, the building block, really understanding the market, understanding the problem, understanding the competitive um, landscape. Um, looking at macro trends and um, and how you frame your approach to solving those problems. And then I think once you have that solidified and you're, you know, the team is aligned on how you're approaching the market and how you're solving those problems, then you can sort of move up the funnel and build out, you know, revenue and, you know, revenue um, marketing, demand generation, content, digital strategy, all that sort of, you know, follows. Um, so when I, the, the team that I'm working with now, we're focusing on, you know, product marketing, revenue or growth marketing, um, content marketing, and then digital um, branding and content as well. Okay. So uh, when I listen to you talk about product marketing, it seems like it's a lot of, about uh, research and understanding the market. Uh, what are you looking for in a product marketeer? What would be a good hire for you in that role? It seems like it's quite demanding. It can be, especially if you're, you know, a scrappy startup and you have limited resources to start with. And I think sometimes marketing is, is, is often working with very limited resources to start with. So you're wearing many hats and in reality, you might be the product marketer, but you're also doing all of the other things. You're, you're, you're working on campaigns, you're working on content, you're working on sales enablement and trade shows and so on. Hmm. Um, but I think of product marketing is really how it's the, the main function is about synthesis. Um, and you're looking at market trends. You're lo you're working with other stakeholders at the company, um, product R and D, um, customer facing roles like success and sales, 
uh, and support. And you're really looking at, you know, the voice of the customer and also the voice of the market and really looking at, um, you know, defining the package of what it is that you're selling, what's in the box, what's outside of the box, um, and really understanding how you position um, and explain your point of view to the market. I think that also ties into category creation too, because oftentimes it, it requires a lot of teaching. You're not sort of following, like if you're, um, you think about like some of the companies that have, have um, followed like a category leadership approach, you think about like, um, I think Gainsight is a good example of that. You know, they were sort of one of the first uh, customer success management tools um, available in the market. And they were kind of following this trend of, you know, the trend of cloud adoption and cloud technology being available and companies really needing to establish um, a customer relationship, an ongoing customer relationship um, with their customers to, you know, increase retention and and increase um, revenue growth as well. Uh, And this type of technology, I think, was, you know, helping them to identify different KPIs and different ways to think about um, how to satisfy um, and improve, you know, customer relationships. I think like HubSpot is another example of that too, where, you know, they were coming into a market with a CRM tool, but for them to kind of go into an already established space, which is a CRM space where there was already a very established leader, which was Salesforce, to kind of come into this space. Um, one, you already have somebody who's an established leader in this space. And two, the price is already set. So for for an incumbent to come in and say, oh, we're better, you'd have to say, you know, we're delivering something better than Salesforce or at a better price than Salesforce is really tricky. So their approach initially was, you know, we're building an inbound marketing tool. Um, We're creating this new category that's inbound marketing. And then as they kind of um, generated growth there, they were able to move up market and then offer different um, features for marketing, for sales, for services and and for enterprise um, types of companies. So. I think that's really important and you can't really do that if you don't really understand, you know, sort of set the fundamentals and really think about what's the category we're creating, what, what's, how are we solving the problems? Um, and you're sort of, it provides a lot of opportunities to kind of set a different market size and to think about, you know, establishing a different market, but also delivering different value to that market. And when you do that, then you sort of set the price. You can, when you set the price, you can determine, you know, your average contract value. And when you can de- determine your average contract value, then that can help, um, you know, that can change the dynamics of your evaluation. So there's like a lot of things at play there, I think, with category creation. But really, fundamentally, you have to understand the market and understand the value and the problem that you're solving in that market and the value that you're delivering to the customer. And so that's where I think um, product marketing is really important to kind of come in there and synthesize that. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to listen to what you're saying. And uh, speaking about the fundamentals, I wanted to ask you, I've gone through this exercise a couple of times myself and probably didn't get it right. Uh, you mentioned that product marketing, it, it's get influenced obviously by product, by customer success, by sales. There's a bunch of elements and teams that influence product marketing. Where does this team live in an organization? Is it part of marketing? Is it part of something else? It's a really good question. I, I don't think it lives within marketing. I think it's really just needs to be a, a, a company focus and company wide initiative where you have stakeholders from different aspects of the organization. You have stakeholders from product, you have stakeholders from marketing, you have stakeholders from if you have a you know business or strategy team, from sales, from success. 
Um, in companies that I've worked with, there's there's essentially like guilds. So you might be, you know, one guild that's working on, you know, this product, or you might be working on this market or this segment of the market. But it's essentially, you know, the product marketers are part of the marketing team. Um, you know, the product managers are part of the R and D team. The sales are part of the sales team. But they're all working together in this joint effort to. It's like an an, an initiative to bring the product um, to market. And to capture the feedback as well. I think that's really important too. And especially as a company grows, um, feedback tends to get siloed and it's really hard to kind of capture the voice of the customer across different channels. Marketing gets feedback from, you know, social media or emails or, you know, and sales gets feedback directly from the customers. And so does, you know, customer success and support and, you know, product teams might be getting feature requests. And how do you kind of synthesize that to help you really listen to and improve and 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 to solve the problems that you're trying to solve one thing i'm, I'm thinking about here does every company need uh, a product marketing function uh, i think it depends if you're a product-led company or product and market-led company um, or you aspire to be then i think yes you would um, if you're if you're a company that's selling a service and you're more of a you know services based company then then Perhaps not. Um, but I think of the product marketing role is really, in a way, like a catalyst or um, a, a bit of a change agent in some cases if it's coming in later on, um, where you're really trying to rally different stakeholders together and um, and bring a product, become more product and market driven and really synthesize different um, data from the market and from um, the voice of the customer so I would say that it, it's not something that's needed necessarily for for all companies, but there's more SaaS companies, and I would say SaaS companies tend to be product led or product and market led. Right, and and product led growth is, is is a hot topic right now, and at the same time, a lot of organizations are moving from traditional sales led growth activities. So, to your marketing peers out there that are fighting for budget for. <laughs> Product marketing. <laughs> for product marketing, like what, what would your tip be? Like the, how, how do you bring this to, to the CEO and the CFO? Well, I think the value for the company is really alignment. It's, it's really, you know, aligning and setting internal and external expectations. Um, and the, the product marketing function is really there to help synthesize and, and, and bring together these stakeholders. What is it what, that we're selling? Why are we selling it? Who are we selling it to? What aren't we selling? what costs more or, you know, what's, what's outside of the box that we're selling or the product that we're selling. Um, and then it, so setting internal, um, you know, internal expectations, but then also external expectations when you're communicating that to the market, whether it's to investors or to analysts or to customers or prospective customers or to employees. And you're really, you're, you're, you're really synthesizing a point of view, to internal stakeholders and to external stakeholders. And that's really what I think product-led growth is about. Um, and, it's, and, and certainly category creation and category leadership. You really need to have a strong point of view that you're communicating to the market. Excellent. So I hope all the other marketeers out there, they were listening to this. So listen, repeat, and you have your budget for product marketeers. 
SAS Nordic is growing and now we're launching a unique peer-to-peer community on Slack. My name is Nina, I'm the SAS Nordic Community Manager and I would like to invite you to join this exciting forum. This will be the place to network, collaborate and share knowledge with other SAS professionals in the Nordics. The SAS Nordic community is free and open to everyone working in Nordic SAS companies. Come join us at sasnordic.com. We can't wait to have you on board. We have talked a little bit about thought leadership. How do you sort of establish yourself as a thought leader? How can you work as an organization with with that? Um, I think again, I think it really comes down to framing the problem for one. What's the problem that we're we're trying to solve? What's the value that we deliver? And what's you know what's the solution to the customer? So it's really about kind of setting those. You know, setting the dialogue, but also framing it in a way where you're um, you're teaching and educating the market too. I think sometimes, oftentimes with category creation too, um, there could be you know, company may know that they have a problem, but they don't know that there's a solution out there available that solves the problem, or they may not know that they have the problem, um, and they may not know that there's a solution to the problem. So it's you know, sort of those aspects I think you're really trying to focus on is framing the problem and framing the solution and showing what's possible and showing the value of the solution. Um, because sometimes we, you know, I think there's sometimes a tendency to get focused on how, like, what are we doing? What are we building? But I think you kind of need to take a step back and really think about um, and and educate why we're, why it's possible, why it's um, important. So what concrete actions do you take as a company to, to uh, I mean, stay as thought leaders in, in your area? I think it's really, a, a, it, it really needs to be kind of a comprehensive approach, a really thoughtful approach to how you're entering into market and how you're, how you're speaking to the market. So from a marketing perspective, we look at, you know, we have um, an idea of, of the, the, the target market that we're working in and the target segments that we're working in. Um, and we look at, you know, who are the kind of the, the ideal customers that we'd want to work with. And within those companies, um, who are the people that we need to be speaking to and what's the value that, we, you know, what's the job that we're trying to do for, for those personas? And then where do they hang out, you know, going to events and going to, um, uh, you know, different types of media outlets or... Um, Where does the coach and people <laughs> hang out? <laughs> there's actually really, you know, there's there's um, events that are specific for, for this, for temperature control and the supply chain for pharmaceuticals or, you know, food quality and safety events. And they're very specific and they're targeting those, you know, specific people who that's their, that's part of their role is really trying to find the kind of the cutting edge solutions that are out there. And, and there's also, you know, you know, industry media, um, that we try to get in front of as well and just, you know, try to try to teach and try to educate and show what's possible. And then also, I think, being able to leverage success stories, leveraging success stories of companies that have kind of already gone through, um, you know, adopting the technology and, and finding success and looking at some of the metrics that they're looking at um, and being able to show that to the market, too, is really important. Yeah. And I think it's interesting what you're saying because everybody wants to be a thought leader in, in their space. Um, but from your experience, like, what does it take to get there? Like, what, what's the legwork? And can you talk a little bit about that? Like, is this something like a, a 
punch out a few blog posts and, and go to a few conferences, I'm good to go? Or, or do, you, do you have to have a, an evangelist, a person that, that sort of can can speak to, to the market also that, that is uh, one of your founders or employees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, um, we have subject matter experts um, that we, you know, we try to build thought leadership with, you know, they, they are the thought leaders. They know a lot about the market. They know a lot about the regulations. They know a lot about, um, you know, they're, they're directly speaking with companies and, um, with stakeholders at the company. So they, they know a lot about, um, the, the challenges and the pain points that are being felt. Um, and then, you know, our CEO is, you know, he's, he's speaking a lot too as well. And, um, so really just putting the thought leaders out there from our company, um, and helping them, you know, enabling them to educate the market as well. And what, what are the, some of the challenges that you guys have bumped into? You're selling into, uh, call it an old established industry, the pharmaceutical industry that have been solving this type of a problem in a different way. Like, what is their reaction to this new way of, of dealing with this? I think what we're seeing across the board with with COVID and the, the pandemic is it's really forced a lot of companies to rethink the way that their supply chains are operating. So they're looking at, you know, there was a lot of disruption due to the pandemic in general. And so companies are really thinking about moving forward. How do they approach, you know, building resilience in their supply chain? And a big part of that is, you know, building resilience is, is increasing your agility and increasing visibility. Because if you're, if there's a, a major disruption happening in the supply chain and you don't have visibility of your supply chain, you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, that I think that in of itself is, has been a key driver or will likely be a key driver for companies moving forward. Um, but I think that being able to see some of the automation that's possible and the analytics that are possible will really be, you know, is, is something that'll, you know, is, is being perceived favorably. But of course, you know, you're always, you're always needing to teach and to show and to show um, tangible value and show um, direct ROI that you've been able to, um, you've been able to deliver for other companies. You have been working both in the US and in, in Europe. So can you see any differences when it comes to approach to marketing? I think that marketing in general um, is, is, approached a little bit differently in the States by tech companies where um, marketing tends to come in a little bit earlier on in the company process and is seen as a strategic um, function of the company just as, you know, R&D and sales and it's just part of your growth, um, your growth strategy. And sometimes I think what I've seen is the marketing function will come in a little bit later um, and some of the European tech companies, and I think, you know, I'm only speaking in terms of B2B because that's my, my experience, but um, oftentimes, you know, the first function that might be brought in is content or growth. But if you're not really setting this, you know, the, the groundwork with the product marketing and really understanding the foundations of the ideal customer profile and the value propositions and the things that we just talked about, it's really important to have that groundwork established before you start to build out your content and your demand generation functions. Um, and so it sometimes comes in a little bit later. 
Um, I don't know if, if you if you followed Jason Lemkin in the States of Saster. So yeah, yeah. He's written some really interesting things too about this. I think like when do you bring in your first, you know, like head of marketing versus head of sales? And he, you know, in his opinion is you bring in the marketing first before sales. But I think oftentimes what happens in reality with many tech companies is you bring in, you know, there's product and sales and then marketing comes after. Right. Um, and so, but I, but I think generally that's changing. And I think that the product marketing function in, also is something that's be- it's becoming um a more important driver in many companies and coming in at an earlier stage as well. Yeah, I've been reading exactly those articles the the last few weeks. So, uh, uh, and also it's maybe something that I didn't think so much of that that you should start, you know, with your head of marketing or VP of marketing in an earlier phase than you might think. And I think in Europe we tend to be a little bit more product focused that we we are doing. We are not really starting off with, with the marketing. And I don't know what you think. For many people, they don't really know what product marketing is all about. I, I think a big, I mean, I think it's a newer function in some ways. I mean, I've worked with companies that are very large in the States too, um, just to set the record straight, you know, who have, they haven't brought in the product marketing function until pretty late as well. I mean, maybe 10 years into the company's um, life cycle. So, I think it is a growing um, function and one that's really important, especially if you're if you're a product led company or you're looking to become more product and market driven. Um, it's a really important role to have. It's really looking at synthesizing market data, competitive data, um, voice of the customer data, um, and really understanding how you build value to the customer um, and synthesizing that in a way that um, companies can understand. Uh, and I think, you know, also just in terms of if you're working with partnerships, technology partners, channel partners, they're also, I think, really important for that function too. How do you add value um, or, you know, how can you work with customer or with partners to um, create value to for customers? Um, really helping to build out the sales enablement too. That's something that's really important. And um if you're if you're not really understanding what your positioning framework looks like, it's harder to create those enablement materials that are really impactful. Um, so I think that you know when I think of product marketing, that's what I think of is like competitive analysis, competitive battle cards, really understanding your competitive landscape, but also understanding um, larger macro trends. I mean, speaking to analysts, following um, analyst writings, you know, IDC, what what are, you know, what's IDC saying or Forrester or Gartner. What are those analysts talking about? Um, you know, and 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 also feedback from the customers and from prospects, um, and being able to synthesize that into something that's relatable. So, what does your marketing organization look like? What what roles do you have? Uh, approximately, what what size do you have of your organization? So, we're a pretty scrappy team right now. Um, we have uh, product marketing. Um, we're growing that function out currently. Um, we have. Uh, demand generation, um, and that it's you know sort of like a revenue growth role um, at the company, and we're focusing on you know account based marketing, but then we also have inbound um, organic growth that's coming in as well from um, many of the campaigns and events and webinars and things like that that we're building out. With um, COVID, it's changed changed things a lot. A lot of stuff has moved online, um, which is really interesting and is an interesting trend because the market that we've been working with has you know is has traditionally been very trade show focused and event focused, in-person event focused. So that's changed a bit and we want to continue to be able to engage with our, our, our audience, our target audience. 
Um, we also have content marketing, um, digital, uh, our digital and brand um, strategy. Um, and then we have PR. We, we work with some consultants as well. I think that's really important too. When you're a younger company, you have to kind of, you know, find different ways and creative ways to make do with your, you know, resources and build out functions with that if you aren't able to hire in full time to start with. But I also have found it difficult sometimes with a B2B company to outsource things like content, especially when you're really trying, you know, you're, what you're writing about is very technical or um, very regulatory driven. It's really hard for people to become subject matter experts, you know, if, if they're not working full time with your company. So that can be tricky, too. I have a question for you uh, regarding measuring the success of a product marketing team. Uh, what are the KPIs you guys are looking for? Like, how would you define success for your product marketing team? Mm. Well, I mean, product marketing, I think, is is tied to some of the overall marketing goals. Like, we're looking at, you know, market share. We look at average contract value. So, if we're targeting the right companies, then, you know, our contract value would presumably be higher. Um, so, that's important. Uh, I would say it's tied into, although not directly tied into, um pipeline conversion rates um nps i think nps is not something that's owned by any function in the company i think the company kind of owns nps overall but different functions have different ways of collecting that um data from customer or from end users um and then you know in theory retention although i think you know that's also something that's usually shared cross-functionally across the company too um, but with product marketing, I would say it's really about um, making sure that you're targeting the right companies. So I would say, you know, helping to establish, like if you're if you're aligning with sales and an account based marketing approach, that you're really um, finding the right companies that are the right fit for your your or your solution is the right fit for those companies. And there's a synergy there, and that that you know that they're fitting the ideal customer profile. Okay. So what lies in Controllance future? What, what's the next step for you guys? I hope it won't be a new big pandemic, <laughs> but <laughs> what other things might be in the future? I think what we're just seeing is well, there's a lot of capabilities for automation going forward. Um, with the vaccine distribution, it shows a lot of opportunities for um, being able for pharma companies, for instance, to be able to track products directly from manufacturer to the end site. Um, traditionally, there would often be, you know, a wholesaler or distributor involved. So there's, you know, different s- segments in the supply chain. So we're seeing other capabilities for, for that to change. Um, and I think that that's, that'll be something that's really exciting going forward. Um, also just, I think we're seeing a lot of changes or trends, um, in the, in the food space as well, especially in the States, we're seeing, you know, regulatory changes, um, with the FDA, they've started a new, um, new era of smarter food safety. So that's, um, changing the way a lot of food companies are thinking about leveraging technology for, um, track and trace for visibility for cold chain monitoring, um, in order to, you know, ensure, reduce waste, ensure, ensure safety, um, and quality of products, increase shelf life, um, increase, you know, improve time to delivery, things like that. So there's a lot of capabilities with, you know, having more data in your supply chain, you can make a lot more improvements. You can make better decisions overall. Um, so I think that that'll be something that is um, we'll con- we'll continue to see, especially as as COVID. Um, you know, uh, hopefully we'll move past um, COVID. Yeah, right, right. Sounds like you guys have a lot of stuff uh, in the pipe and a lot of stuff cooking, and and 
a bright future ahead of you guys. But Jesse, it was really nice having you on the show today. Interesting to hear about what you do at Controllant. Uh, feels good that you guys are monitoring the uh, the vaccine transport, and uh, also interesting to talk about product marketing. And uh, we will uh, continue on that subject another time. Thanks so much for having me. I've had a great time. Thank you. Take care now. Bye bye. So, Thomas, what did you think about that? I know in in your career you always played a role in between product, marketing, and sales. Is this something you could relate to? Are you a product marketer without knowing about it? Yeah, I must. If I'm going to be really transparent here, I didn't know what product marketing was until we hired that position in the previous company I worked for. So, um, you know, you have been aware of the different activities. I mean, of course, you need to look at your competitive analysis. Uh, you have the analyst part. You need to understand what the customer wants in the market and um, and all of that. But that there was a particular role that you could get hired as a product marketer. I, I, I didn't understand all of the different flavors of marketing. But uh, since I've been working in product management and tightly together with product marketing, I've come to realize, you know, the importance of it. And especially if you're a product and market led company. And I also think one of the takeaways here is just an affirmation of that uh, and also how important it is to start early with this in a company. When you think about putting together your team, you usually think that we, we need a sales guy, we need a product guy or, or, or so. Right. But you should really think about that you need someone that can understand the market and that can position your company in a good way from the start as well. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, I can just echo that. And uh, one of the other things I take away from this conversation is, and I've seen this live in, in my career as well, is a lot of organizations don't know when to bring in this function but also not where to put this function. And I think she had a, a very clear statement that it's nothing that lives in marketing. Um, and I would like to hear people coming in on, on the in Clubhouse tomorrow debating if, if this is right or wrong. Yeah, but this position can be in the marketing organization or it could be in the product product management organization. And I don't know how much, if that's important or not, whether you put this uh, role here or there. But I think it's going to be interesting to to bring on some product marketers and potentially product managers to have a discussion around this. So uh, looking forward to having that tomorrow in Clubhouse. And also, if you are on Clubhouse, you should definitely join, be a member of SAS Nordic on Clubhouse because we have a club there now. It's the sassiest club of them all. Absolutely. Of course it is. And uh, I hope that you also follow us on LinkedIn and uh, subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast player. Looking forward to speaking to all of you tomorrow in uh, the after talk. Bye-bye.